This morning I offer you this prayer. Dear Lord, in this hour, hour of doorknobs and droplets, when masks have canceled our personalities, in this hour, hour of prickling perimeters, sinister surfaces, defeated bodies, and victorious abstractions, when some of us are stepping into rooms humid with contagion, and some of us are standing in the pasta aisle, in this our hour of vacant parks and boarded up hoops, when we miss the sky-high roar of the city and hear instead the tarp that flaps on the unfinished roof, the squirrel giving his hinge-like cry, and the siren constantly passing, to you we send our prayers as follows. Let not heebie-jeebies become our religion, our new ideology with its own religion. Fortify us, Lord. Show us how. What would our saints be doing now? St. Francis? He was a fan of the human. He'd be rolling naked on Boston Common. He'd be sharing a bottle, no mask, no gloves, shielded only by burning love. But I don't think we're in the mood for feats of antic beatitude. In New York City and in Madrid, the saints maintain the rumbling grid. Bless the mailman and your vector of steadfastness. Protect the bravest, the best we've got. Protect the rest of us. Why not? And if the virus that took John Prine comes, as it may, for me and mine, although we're mostly stayed indoors, well then, as ever, we're all yours. Until further notice, amen.
This morning we are in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, I mean, excuse me, chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. We're kind of picking up where we left off last week of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And so, um, here we go. Right then, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. When he sent them away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. Evening came, and he was alone. Meanwhile, the boat, fighting a strong headwind, was being battered by the waves and was already far away from land. Very early in the morning, he came to the disciples, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! They were so frightened, they screamed, Ah! And just then, Jesus spoke to them, Be encouraged. It's me. Don't be afraid. And Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water towards Jesus. But then Peter saw the strong wind, and he became frightened. As he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, You, man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind settled down. Then those in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, You must be God's son. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Allow me to start here as we take a look at this story, as we work through it together. Jesus is not the only person in the history of histories, as my son Seth would say, to have walked on water. Peter walks on water too. Peter is the second person to walk on water. How far out onto the water does he walk? Well, I asked that question at Tuesday evening's lectionary happy hour and got different answers. One said that Peter took a few unsure steps, maybe even baby steps, and began to sink. Another said that he was far enough away that he could no longer reach or touch the boat before he began to sink. Another retorted, does it matter? To which I replied, I think it does. A lot. And this will be the point that I will make today that it does matter how far we are willing to walk out towards Jesus. I think that in accepting Jesus' invitation, and that's the second point that I want to make, accepting Jesus' invitation, Peter unconsciously leans that is instilled deep within him, the part of him that allows him to just act without thinking, like he did when he pulled his sword and cut off the ear of the man in the Garden of Gethsemane. He just starts walking out to Jesus. Jesus standing there amongst the wave, the wind, the mist, the chaos of the moment. He is far from the boat. I mean like far. Like maybe the whole length of the Washington football team football field. Like from end zone to end zone. Like the back of the end zone to the back of the other end zone. That's how far I think Jesus is. Like 150 yards away. Like, so if this is the boat, I think Peter is walking on the water. 
probably as fast as I'm walking. And, and Jesus is out there in the midst of, of, of the Sea of Galilee. That's what this lake is. It's the Sea of Galilee. And that's where Peter is walking to. It's not hard for us here in Las Cruces to imagine what the scene looks like. The Sea of Galilee has mountains around it 4,000 foot tall. So, using our spiritual imaginations, imagine that the Oregon Mountains are here to the east, which they are, and then as they give way to the valley, which is probably further away, but instead of a river, the mountains give way to a body of water. Let's imagine a very full and a very much larger Elephant Butte Lake, but without the dam. This body of water is 700 feet below the Mediterranean Sea. The cool air rushing off the Mediterranean Sea, made cooler by coming up and over the mountains, crashes and clashes the warm air rising off of our lake. Storms here are not uncommon. They happen all the time. In fact, the Sea of Galilee is known, if not infamous, for the storms that occur here. And so the thing that baffles me the most about this story is that the fear the disciples have about being on these rocky seas. Jesus, God and man, is exhausted. He has been followed by crowds of people from one place to the next. When he even got into a boat to seek solace, he was met at the other side by a crowd of people once again. We learned of Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 last week, more like he fed 15,000 or more. And after doing so, he sends his disciples off in the boat so that he can have a moment to himself, to process all that is going on around him, to process and take time to mourn the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. He just needs a moment. So Jesus heads up the mountain. While his disciples go out onto the sea they are so familiar with. And you know that they have fished here once or twice, don't you? I can see Jesus atop of the organ needle. That is, if he were still using, that is, if we were still using our spiritual imaginations. If not, he's atop Mount Arbel watching the storm blow in, the wind buffering Jesus around. He's having to hold on to his Abba around him closer. And this wind is pushing him around as he sits there. It's like it's liking to the feelings that are buffering inside him as well. The mourning and the loneliness, the possible unassuredness of what lies ahead. In that moment, he feels like us. Or in this moment, we feel like him. As I want to do, making a short story longer, I see Jesus with his thoughts gathered and more settled than he was before. Thankful to have spent time alone in prayer, thought, and meditation. He makes his way down to the water below where the crash and the clash of cold wind meeting hot wind has a storm a-brewing. 
And with his keen eye, Jesus can see the boat that the disciples are in out on the middle of the lake. In Mark's telling of the story, it is the fourth watch of the night. So about three o'clock in the morning, the darkest part of the night. And the disciples are struggling as the wind is against them and the waves are more than they have seen as best as they can recollect. God, the creator, and Jesus, the redeemer, begins to walk out on the water, taking a late evening stroll. And like a child with her hand out the window of a car, playing in the wind, you know, doing this. Or like a child uh, with their, water, their hand in the water as the boat speeds forward, playing with the water back and forth. I see Jesus playing with the water too. Enjoying all of creation of the creator as Jesus can. Making the waves bigger. Like a child pushing the snow to create a dr- snow drift higher. I see a smile on Jesus' face as he walks along, playing amongst the winds and waves. Maybe there is lightning and thunder too, music to his ears. The disciples, putting their backs into the oars to row a foot or true before being pushed back, Thomas doubting that they were ever going to make it, Peter yelling stroke. And then it's just at that right moment of lightning, they see an apparition walking on the water. The brief light from the lightning, the mist from the water being pushed up by the wind, plays tricks with their eyes, sight, and and they think that they see a ghost of a man. I think that Jesus has startled them more than he intended to, kind of like uh, when my son hides around the corner uh, and I come through a doorway and it's boo. I think Jesus has startled them just like that, just a little bit too much. their friend and teacher, Jesus. I think he quickly stops playing with the sea and through the storm. And then though the storm does not stop, it is less than it was before. Jesus calls out to them to not be afraid. I am with you. And Peter, testing the moment, calls out to Jesus to command him to come out onto the water. But Jesus just replies and says, come, No more, no less. A simple invitation. Come. Me, still in use of my spiritual imagination, see this moment like an invitation to a party or coffee. We'd like you to come. We'd love to see you, but understand if you don't. Jesus doesn't command Peter out onto the water. This point I totally disagree with the author of Matthew. He invites him to come out. Come. Come if you want to. But I understand if you don't. Now remember, in my mind's eye, Jesus is way out on the water. He may not be 150 yards away, but he's still a ways from the boat. I see Peter, not fully grasping the moment. He and the rest of his friends have been tending to people all day, feeding them, possibly hurting them like cats. They have just put on an event and they are tired. And now they've been working all night just to get to the other side. There is no rest for the weary. In that moment of fatigue, 
of unknowing what is exactly going on. In that moment where your mind is playing tricks with you because you are so tired, Peter just gets up out of the boat and starts walking towards Jesus. I don't even think he realizes that he's walking on water. He's so tired that he's just tooling along, going to meet his teacher, his rabbi, Jesus, out there on the middle of the lake, this Sea of Galilee. I see him walking along, looking straight at Jesus until that big fish he's been trying to catch, the one he calls Methuselah, goes flying out of the water. Peter's thinking to himself, wow, that fish is big. And it's in this moment that he realizes that he's walking on water. He doesn't sink just yet. He's trying to figure it out as if he's trying to ice skate or, or maybe water ski, or maybe he's like a baby taking its first steps. In this moment, he cries out to Jesus to save him as he sinks in the water. And in verse 31, we hear Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him saying, you man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? Jesus gave an invitation to Peter to come join him. It just so happens that it was out on the water and Peter goes. Peter walks out on the water, whether it was knowingly or as I tell it, in delirium. He goes walking towards Jesus to be with Jesus, to be comforted by Jesus. And then something happens. A moment of doubt, a lack of faith. He doesn't trust anymore. This is my third point that I want to make this morning. The lack of trust that we are experiencing. Peter becomes distracted at the task of walking towards Jesus and accepting his invitation of a walk on the water. I don't know if Peter, in this moment of doubt or lack of faith, doesn't trust himself or he doesn't trust Jesus. Somehow, someway, trust or lack thereof has entered Jesus's and Peter's relationship in this moment. And Jesus calls Peter out on it. In fact, Peter gets called out on this issue a lot. It isn't until nearly the very end of when Jesus and Peter are together in person that Peter finally gets it and fully and wholly trusts Jesus, has faith in Jesus, and all doubt is removed from their relationship. These are strange times, weird times, unsettling times. And yet Jesus invites us all the time. Jesus invites us and we should engage him in that invitation. Our most basic engagement and accepting the invitation that we have with our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer has been through acts of worship and service. At some point in time, church in here in here, overtook the church over there or out there. The bar set for going to church has never been lower. I know that we would rather be here together, but y'all are at home in your pajamas, 
drinking coffee and eating donuts. Your hair is not combed. In fact, most of you, if any of you, have not even had a shower yet. Y'all are comfortable on the couch. How about inviting some of your friends to join us? When you say, come as you are, can be said truthfully and taken literally. Engage in the invitation. When you are invited, find more reasons to say yes than to say no. Peter could have said nothing, and yet he wanted to be with Jesus. So he asked if he could join him, and Jesus said, come. Find reasons to say yes to walking on the water. Take the time to remove doubt, to have faith, not only in our Redeemer Jesus, but more importantly, in each other. Take the time to remove doubt, to have faith, not only in our Redeemer, but importantly, in each other. To put our trust in Jesus and each other again. To set partisan politics and social discourse and personal preference aside. Let us engage each other as human beings. To be there for each other. To find more reasons to say yes than to say no. Let me say that again. To find more reasons to say yes than to say no. Let us be inventive and creative in how we burst the bubbles we live in and yet be safe in doing so so as we invite each other to be in community again. Jesus walked on the water. Peter accepted Jesus' invitation to walk on the water with him, to be engaged with him, to trust him, to have faith in him, to set doubt aside. Let us do the same and walk on the water with our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. Amen.